Thank you. This is Jesse um, coming to you from Portland, Oregon. I'm a marijuana addict. I'm a little intimidated knowing I'm being recorded. This isn't my first time sharing on Saturday Night Live, but it's my first time being recorded. <laughs> um, so it's it's making me a little shy. Um, I was going to start with a song, but then my girl told me that it sounded really distorted. So maybe I'll save that for the end and it doesn't matter. And if it sounds bad, you could just edit it out. But um, I'll start with a prayer, uh, a simple prayer today for God to help me remember God in all things, whatever, whatever your name, whatever your definition, more of you, God, and less of me. That's my, that's my kind of simplest prayer. Um, and it helps me to just kind of remember what I'm doing. This isn't a, you know, open mic, <laughs> although I've got candles and amps and microphones, but it's, um, it's a, it's a chance to thank all the people that have helped me, um, stay clean and sober, including my beautiful wife who was listening, I think in her car, um, cause she was at work and I told her to, to, to listen in. So that's one, another reason I kind of wanted to sing the song for her, um, that she hasn't heard yet. Um, but I was realizing as I was working on a song for her that it really could be a song for, um, for God, for God, for loving us in our, in our, in our brokenness and, and our, our despair and just the way, um, you know, thank that's, you know, kind of private, but thank you, honey, for loving me even when I'm such an asshole. Anyway, that's <laughs> just a side note. And that got recorded, man. So you got that in writing. But anyway, the inspiration for that song was my wife and how she puts up with me. But it could also be a song to God for loving us in our brokenness and despair and to still suffering addicts and welcome all to the, and like to add those prayers to the addict who still suffers and for anybody coming back after a relapse. You know, when people would used to say, welcome home, I used to think it was cheesy, but it's really comforting and sweet when an addict comes stumbling into the rooms and people say, welcome home. And now I really get that in my, in my personal life too. Um, you know, even when I've just been completely selfish and and almost like messed everything up and sabotaged every, everything good, I still get welcome home. So I really appreciate that. And, I, and a special shout out to my friend who got me here tonight. And I always and I've known each other so well through the phones, and we forget that we've never met in person. We have so much in common. We we've lived in some of the same places in the world, and we know a mutual friend, a musician guy in Pottstown, which I think is hysterical. He he's a recording artist and has a studio, and it's on High Street in Pottstown. So this my dude is a talented musician and a great artist and a wonderful friend, and I. I want to thank him for all the service he's done on, on the phone lines lately. Um, we started talking when I when we were both in, in a little denial that we had a problem. One day it occurred to me that people who don't have a problem with marijuana wouldn't spend so much time on the phone lines debating whether they have a problem or not. And I used to sit in, in my car and I would be like going into the gym and I would just end up talking. To, and it would get dark and cold and I would just be like, ah, I'm not going to the gym. I just talked it on the phone. Anyway, we... we have this disease that tells us that we don't have a disease right it's the only disease where you can literally like walk right out of rehab or the hospital saying i don't have this disease and nobody's going to stop you like okay you don't have the disease off you go you can't get your money back though and i tried that with cancer i went through cancer i tried saying i don't have cancer but i still had to do the chemo and the radiation and the surgeries i wish i could have just said f this i don't have cancer um but 
of this disease, this cunning, baffling, powerful disease is always in my head at the door. And as my sweet friend, I hope you're on the line, she always says, you know, that it's it's who you're listening to. And our disease is loud and obnoxious and jumping up and down and making lots of noise. But our recovery it speaks in a whisper. And it's harder to, you really have to strain to listen sometimes to the recovery. And I would like to think that, you know, everybody here is listening to their to their gentle loving kindness recovery voice um, tonight. That's where I want to come from anyway. <clears throat> um, I'll start a little bit with my past, although I'm lately really not interested in dwelling in the past or romanticizing the past in any way. Um, but I think it's important to tell a little bit about what got me here um, and how I found the tools of recovery to guide me out of my addiction. Um, I made notes and they're like not in any particular order, kind of like how I make photo albums. There'll be a picture of my mom in 1918 and then there'll be like uh, a picture of me in college. Anyway, I was the youngest and only girl in a family of five and my sense of security from a young age was kind of shattered and threatened. It created a void in me where innocence and safety and a sense of being safe and welcome in my family should have been. Other people who I respect immensely have much worse stories of abuse, and I often hear myself say and make jokes that mine was really trauma light or not really abuse, which is something I'm trying to work on even right now with the words I choose. The truth is that people assigned to give me protection, validation, and safety as a child didn't do a great job. I've done a ton of therapy, and I consider myself kind of done with blaming anyone or anything for how my life turned out. But for a long time, I didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle of my life. And it is a direct result of doing a thorough eight and nine step, particularly that um, step, that I got all the information of what really did form me and what some might call a traumatic childhood experience. Um, In my attempts to make amends to people, I ended up getting lots of lots of parts of my story back, which was amazing. Anyway, like I said, I'm sorry, I can't really speak in a straight line, but uh, I know sugar was my first addiction. Candy and the way I hoarded it was definitely signs of being a problem. It was just not normal. It wouldn't just be like, oh, a candy bar and eat it. I'd be like, you know, hoard it and take it to the playground so that I could eat it alone like a crazy little squirrel. And just, I don't know, I was just really nuts around sugar. And uh, to some degree, I still am. And I'm really working on kind of a sugar detox in these last few days. And it makes me a little more hyper than usual, I think, but um, I, I, I've done it before and I like the way I feel when I'm off sugar. Um, my parents meant well, but even the way they handled giving gifts or money or allowance or anything all seemed to be tied to earning those things by being good. And there was a free floating message that I wasn't good um, for a myriad of reasons because I was a girl, because I was kind of a butchy little girl, sort of masculine little girl, who knows? but there was mixed messages that came flying in at home and at church and school. I still feel confused and sort of scarred by the idea that I'm somehow less than based on gender and sexuality. It's even more confusing with the whole pronoun thing now. It's like, am I a she, her, they, these, I, thou, I don't know, whatever. I just, it's, it's uh, for years people would ask me, are you a girl or a boy? And now I feel like they ask me my pronouns for the same reason. They're just trying to figure out what they're looking at. Um, I don't know, but we could talk about that in another another time. This is more trying to keep it to the steps. And I love that I get to speak on New Year's Eve. And I love so many of you that, that have supported me by being here tonight. And especially thank you for you know, all your support from the very beginning. Like you were there 
through several relapses, like you kept on sponsoring me through the steps. And um, that's one of the sweetest things that anyone's ever done for me is because I was not pretty much defiantly on purpose, not going to do steps eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. I just wasn't, I, I was okay with one, two, three, and I didn't even mind four and five. I didn't mind talking about myself, but that just felt like therapy or something, but something about six, seven, eight, nine, they, they weren't going to get done. And, um, and I think part of what my relapses were about was my fear of, of really looking at shit that's not fun to look at. And I remember after one, you know, brief, but real relapse, um, Instead of starting me back at step one, you just said, let's keep going. You were in the middle of six when you, you know, forgot that you were an addict. Um, there's a lot of that in my story. Like, I forgot. <laughs> like, uh, I have this memory of this. Um, I think I, I, I thought my written this down, so I'll probably say it twice. But anyway, I just remember this guy, like, I thought I, I thought I had like nine months at the time. And I was, you know, I was going to meetings off and on and. But this guy came to move furniture and he just walked in the house with like a, a lit joint in his mouth, like Popeye, you know, in his pipe in his mouth. He's just chewing on it, but it was lit. And, and I just, I just, he just like passed it to me. Like that was a normal thing to do. Like the guy that's there to move your couch out of the house is just handing you, it was just so weird. And, and I threw that nine months away quite, quite fast, even though I was in the middle of doing my steps. So anyway, whatever that is, um, that happened a lot. But I haven't had a drink, a drug, or any minor mood-altering uh, chemicals in my body ingested in any way, Kool-Aid or Skittles or Snicker bars or gummy bear edibles, none of that vape stuff for, since um, June 21st, 2017. However, in October of 2017, I had a drink to blackout. So I've decided I had to put my two dates together and I'd consider October 10th, 2017, the, my first day of real clean and sober sobriety. Anyway, um, I live now in Portland where most people generally don't care about things like um, how you identify gender or sexuality. In fact, they think they invented it, <laughs> but um, they're kind of proud here to embrace weirdness and be tolerant. But I've lived in places in, in the country and in the world where you know, it was weird and bad and meant you were possibly going to hell. And that definitely formed some of my identity issues. Anyway, fast forward, I was this butchy, jockey-looking girl that looked like an athlete, but I wasn't really particularly coordinated or particularly talented as an athlete. And I drifted a bit in high school. I started writing poems and playing guitar. I got pretty good at playing the guitar, and I found that that could be a seductive way to, you know, get girlfriends. And I I think I learned pretty young that that was a currency, too, that people traded favors and energy and sexual energy based on what you did for them or what they thought you could or should do for them. There's a lot of information about that stuff in other programs like Al-Anon and SLAA, but I found I can't spread myself out on so many different programs because, truth be told, I probably could qualify for just about every single thing that ends in an anonymous, except maybe Clutterers Anonymous. I like to throw things away, and I don't hoard but other than that, it's, it, I could qualify for it all. But I just like to go anywhere where people are talking about the steps working in their lives. I have to say, as much as I love and feel a loyalty to MA, especially the phone lines for saving my life and all the sponsors and people that I've found here be generous and supportive, I do sometimes get frustrated on how much time we spend discussing our day counts and our milestones. And it's just my opinion that while it's important to acknowledge all that, the most important part of any meeting is really hearing how people are staying clean in, in this 12-step fellowship and what they've learned and do and use the steps to stay clean. 
sometimes I, I have to go to other meetings to hear a lot of long-term sobriety. And, uh, and I look for staff meetings too, so that it's not just, um, as they say in AA, don't share the mess, don't share the mess, share the message and just have the focus be on, on recovery, not just like, you know, checking in sort of open-ended, but anyway, I don't mean to digress on that. I just, I just need to hear, um, sanity and how people get restored to sanity. I need to hear that from meetings. I need to, I need to be restored to sanity on a, on a daily basis. And, um, I think about my powerless note over lately. I've been thinking a lot of her food and sugar and caffeine and where my life is unmanageable in so many ways and just being neurotic. And I want to trust that I can use the steps for relief in whatever the circumstance and whatever I'm using them for. Again, sorry, I'm jumping around with all my ADHD and still detoxing from caffeine and sugar. Um, because now I'm talking about my dad who died in 1982, uh, right after high school. And I was so lost. He was what held my family together. And I still wonder how our family would have turned out if he'd lived longer. Um, I think my brothers would have maybe been better friends and less competitive with each other, but they all kind of lost their, you know, I think men really need that data pat on the back of attaboy and they just didn't get that. And, with me, he was softer and gentler and a great dad, and, but I just lost him really young. And um, he was also an alcoholic, so I'm sure that affected me. Um, I started smoking full-time in college, and after college for years, I came into AA with a girlfriend who was an alcoholic back in the late 80s and stayed clean for about three years until I moved to Hawaii. That was really confusing because in Hawaii, there were a lot of people who called themselves sober but smoked pot and did psychedelic mushrooms. I was like, that's great. I can be sober and do psychedelic mushrooms. How awesome. Um, I stayed there for about 11 years. and I got married. I raised a child with my ex, and we both smoked off and on until I tried to get clean when my kid was little and caught me smoking, and I didn't want to be a hypocrite parent and tell her not to smoke if I did. So that was my motivation for trying to stop and stay stopped off and on with 18 months here, six months there. But like I said, it wasn't until 2017 that I really hit a bottom. And I'm sad to say my daughter is a little pothead and um, I hope one day she finds the rooms of Marijuana Anonymous. Uh, I've tried not to be too hardcore with it, but I've given her literature and talked to her about it. But, you know, she comes in and out of the denial saying, yeah, maybe it's a problem. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But anyway, um, pot started making me psychotic and paranoid towards the end. It was scary, and I was suicidal and completely nuts, and I still couldn't stop. I was the kind of person who could go months and months without smoking, but if someone walked in the house with it, uh, it was over. I was going to use if it was near me. Um, I think I almost had 18 months twice, and both times, you know, I'd been to a meeting that day, but I was left alone with somebody's pot and a lighter nearby and it just lit up. And and another time that um, I had done my whole like gig sober and I practiced for it and worked really hard to, you know, it was my first like sober performance at a really nice place in Northampton, the Iron Horse, which was like the best musical gig of my life. And afterwards, everyone was celebrating and a lot of people were getting high and so did I. So another 18 months went right out the window. So I do understand if you're somebody that struggles with chronic relapse, I am somebody that understands that. And I have to say it's the grace of God that I just don't feel tempted. I spent a couple of nights just recently in a house where there was gummies and edibles and, you know, it annoyed me knowing once I realized it was there, and, but it didn't, it didn't make me feel like 
oh no, I'm not going to get through the night without, you know, it just was there and I was wishing it, that I didn't know it was there, but it was just a, a, like a petty inconvenience annoyance. So there is hope like that it just can become something way in the background and not, a, you know, constant, constant despair. Um, so again, I'll fast forward. I started going to the phone meetings in 2016 and I got a sponsor and worked all 12 steps even though two relapses before 10, 10, blah, 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 I think I said all that. Um, I still have trouble when people say they have more than like 20 years. I'm like in a row, like I'm always, I, I, I'm always really impressed with people that have like double digit sobriety. And, and I, I remember thinking like five years sounded impossible and it, it really felt impossible for the first couple of years. But now I'm just doing it and I'm just getting older. And if I keep on living, I'll keep on having time. And I'm very fortunate. I feel that way. The whole dispensary on every corner thing is crazy to me. And I'm glad that they weren't there in like ice cream parlors when I first got clean. I had to work hard to get my weed, <laughs> but not that hard. But anyway, um, I sure would have been in trouble if, if I could have just picked up a pound of weed at the grocery store like it was ground beef or a loaf of bread. So I, I do feel for people who, ha you know, have to drive by the dispensaries on the way home from work. I know that alcoholics have to avoid bars and liquor stores, so I guess it's sort of our turn. Since this whole billion-dollar business, I'm glad people aren't rotting in jail for selling weed, but I still think it's a for-profit business and that what they're selling is toxic, and for me especially. And in my opinion, the hype that it's medicine and a cure for all that ails us is a big part of the big greedy lie. And I think people just want to escape whatever they're feeling. I don't escape through drugs and alcohol anymore, but I still have to ask higher powers help not to stay up all night looking at my phone or eating crap food or drinking three cups of coffee and then wondering why I feel like I'm on drugs. <laughs> um, I'd like to talk more about the steps. I was looking through my old Life with Hope workbook, and there's lots of different dates and stops and starts. As I said, I always thank um, my first sponsor from this fellowship for going and keeping me going after a relapse one time, not making me go back to one and making me finish the steps. And we did finish all 12 steps. And I was terrified of steps eight and nine, and they turned out to be the best ones for me because I got so much cleared up with old resentments. And my bad memory had so many events wrong that it was really helpful for me to say, hey, I'm sorry for all the messed up things I did to you. Can you tell me what they were? <laughs> because sometimes I really didn't know and then it, we cleared the air and we both felt better. And sometimes, and especially in my family stuff, um, I got things completely wrong and I was, you know, it was really powerful for me to hear, no, everything you think happened didn't happen, didn't go down that way. Here's what actually happened and you do not owe me an apology. So I was like, oh, well, that was pretty redemptive. Um, I forget how the, how moving my body or a sauna or yoga or meditation can relax me too. I have sort of an amnesia around how good I feel when I do those things. I've been on a pretty positive roll this week and it's made a huge difference on my attitude about going back to work on Tuesday. Um, there are a million things I can do besides drugs to reach an altered state. Uh, many people I respect and love use meditation and it works for them. Others find comfort in their childhood religion. I say if it brings you peace and comfort, go for it. But my goal lately is loving kindness with myself and others, and especially with my wife, who I think I hear her coming in the door now, who puts up with my moody up and downs. I'm so glad that I haven't um, sabotaged this, this relationship and 
and given into that the selfishness of this disease and now i'm just going off script here i'm just talking from my heart um i don't even know what the time is but i know in this meeting it doesn't really matter ah just um it's kind of crazy how simple how really simple the thing the solution is and how how terribly complicated and difficult i make it for myself and i know i'm not alone with that i hear people talk about it all the time like I forgot that if I sit in a sauna for 10 minutes and close my eyes and, and meditate for 20, I, I feel better. I have more energy. I, I feel less restless, you know, and I'm, I know that. I know that, but do I do it every day? No. And when I do it, I always feel better. So part of the share is, um, I'm glad I, I think I let it myself be recorded for the first time because I can listen to it and say, hey, you, you said that, you said that, and you let them record you saying that. I feel better when I stick to a routine and a spiritual routine um, um, that includes meditation and prayer. I am a better person when I do that. And and when I don't do that, I get off my rocker. I, I get on my own nerves. I get on everybody else's nerves. I start thinking the problem is you. And if you would just, you know, change something you're doing, then I'd feel better, which is insanity. I think I think the word insanity is in the big book as much as the word God and self-will. And, you know, we are insane. Um, I mean, there's something insane about I have ADHD and, and I, I know that caffeine and ADHD together make me a little, you know, hummingbird and just completely can't stay still. And yet I'll smell some coffee or like just the other day, my friend took me out for coffee and I had just talked in the morning about how, you know, it feels so good not to drink coffee in the morning and went out for brunch with a friend and had a big cup of coffee, felt weird all afternoon, like just restless and jumpy and like just going to jump out of my skin. So uh, I just relate that to, you know, even with five years and three months and two weeks and 14 days and six minutes, but who's counting, um, you know, the insanity is real. Like, and it's the same kind of crazy denial, like, well, you know, it's not, it's just coffee. I, I used to talk like that about pot, like for so long, like, no, it's just, it's just pot. And it doesn't make me feel that crazy. And, and it did, it made me feel that crazy. Like, like I would do really stupid, crazy things, dangerous things when I was high. And, you know, almost set the house on fire a couple of times because I was like burning candles and having like a seance with myself or something stupid and me, you know, super high and like forgot to turn the, you know, the incense was lit and didn't, stupid shit, you know, just, and then of course get super high and then have to go act like I'm not high and chew a bunch of gum and make my eyes not look red and pretend to not be high when I wasn't fooling anyone and except for myself, you know, I, I, I'm a master of being able to lie to myself and I, you know, as I kind of try to wrap up so that, you know, there's some time for anybody here that's just like feeling like they're coming out of their skin, you know, this is the place to be that I would just, if I had any recommendations or, or suggestions for people who just feel like they can't stop relapsing, it's just really embrace the one day at a time. Just don't use today and then wake up tomorrow and just don't use tomorrow. Stop talking about like setting a goal up. I'm going to stop forever and ever. It's just, it's too hard sometimes. And I, I, I wish I could give us the gift of like not having to talk so much about our time. You know, it's just, it's not that important as long as we're clean right now, right here. And just, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the, 
don't know what I'm saying about that, but it just feels like some, especially on Zoom, I'll go on a, a Zoom meeting and it just feels like half the meeting is people just claiming their time. And it's like, okay, now let's have a meeting. <laughs> you know, like I get it. You've got 60 days. You've got 14 days. I'm like, let's let's talk about what works and and what other things we can do with ourselves besides um, you know, drive ourselves crazy and hate on ourselves. And and I was talking to a friend in the program about like loving kindness. Like if I was good, I'm not even going to make myself make resolutions because I'll just hate on myself if I don't keep them. So this year it's just like I'm just going to try to be in loving kindness with myself and with others and, and just give everybody the benefit of doubt that, you know, we all want peace of mind and we all want to feel loving kindness. So if I, if I can keep that, you know, resolution, the other stuff, like if I eat a donut, I'm a bad person or, you know, if I'm, I just can't, I can't afford to be that harsh on myself because I set myself up with the meditation thing too. Like if I don't meditate correctly for 20 minutes, then, so it's like, no, if I just sit there, you know, I do think, and this is my last little suggestion for anyone else who just struggles with routine. Um, my neighbor has this like giant whiteboard and he just writes down just like you do for kids in school on the teacher. And the kids would go crazy if they didn't, if they didn't know that 1135, they had recess and lunch, you know, they, they have to know what's coming. And, and I think we're all just children who need that, that schedule of like, okay, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to you know, go to the bathroom, brush my teeth, and then I'm going to meditate before I do anything else. And and then, you know, then I'll, I'll make sure I have time to drive to work. And while I'm driving to work, I'll listen to a podcast instead of, like, the toxic bad news radio or whatever. You know, just trying to write it down and set up a schedule that I can stick to that's realistic would be helpful. Um, great idea. I've had it for about two years. Haven't done it yet. So, I mean, I'm still I'm still insane, but I recommend it to you. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I'm so happy that I got to share and uh, be with you on New Year's Eve. It really made it special. And I will try, even though I think it'll be a little distorted. I like the way you twist my words. It's almost like you haven't heard. When I moment.